0: say, After spending uh, a week, 10 days traveling and in the Holy Land, these scriptures take on a whole new, um, I guess, uh, freshness as you read them through this morning, knowing that we were going to be in Mark chapter 1, I started reading through, having just been in these locations a week ago. And just to set up our scripture this morning, in Mark chapter 1, Jesus begins his ministry. It says earlier in the chapter that he came out of Nazareth and was baptized in the Jordan. Ten days ago, we made that journey from Nazareth to the Jordan River. And we, on Friday, nine days ago, baptized 20 people in the Jordan River. And that was exciting. Yeah, and that I yeah, great. The next day, we headed to... Capernaum into Peter's house and that's where the Scripture says that Jesus went he went up to Peter's house He healed his mother-in-law and then he started healing all kind of people and he started to cast out demons and we were at that place that is the traditional site of Peter's home and I can imagine all the people outside that home waiting for Jesus to come out and to heal and then it says the next morning Jesus got up before dawn to get out and get some quiet time Quiet time in prayer. The scripture tells us that even though he wanted his quiet time in prayer, that his disciples went out and searched him and found him. And they said, everybody's looking for you. (laughs) It's what happens when you're a popular guy. And he says, well, uh, you know, actually, I'm here to preach. Let's go into the villages and let's preach. That's my job. That's what I came here to do. And then we pick it up. In that next verse, Mark 1, chapter 40, a man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus was indignant. He reached out his hand and touched the man. I'm willing, he said, be clean. Immediately, the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. And as a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him, from everywhere.
1: All of creation seems to honor boundaries. The boundary between water and dry land, the boundary between species. But it abhors offense. So when we talk about moving from me to we,
2: we're talking about including people that we have never met.
1: Partnering with people that we are not like. In order to become what we have never been. And in order to do what we have never done. There are still boundaries that God respects and we must maintain.
2: But the fences must come down.
1: Well, uh, welcome back, Pastor Steve and uh, the rest of the group from the Holy Land. I was curious, did customs allow that falafel I'd asked you to bring back to me? Oh, okay, yeah. Well, you know, you should know, and on behalf of everyone who was was still here, um, you should know that there was nothing but peace, love, and harmony over here in this direction. Uh, In fact, I um, I was watching TV and... uh, Fox News and MSNBC were actually uh, providing accolades to one another, and uh, there was, you know, there was really no news because everything was good news and peace and harmony and all of that, and of course, that's a really terrible joke because uh, we live in a world uh, that is, especially right now, faced with all of these divisions and um, arguments and noises of... People against um, one another, and it seems like this has been happening mostly that people have their own audience or pedestal uh, on social media and i 've just got to be honest i 'm kind of tired like i'm i 'm just tired of of all of the the back and forth and the name calling and the bickering and this that and and the other thing, and so sometimes I just got to I need a little therapy from that. So I was going to provide that to you if you were all kind of wondering. This is what really really helps me. It worked. Not only did I provide a picture of a puppy, but it gets cuter than that. I got a puppy in a coffee cup. Yeah, by the way, if we're friends on Facebook and all of that, send me as many of these types of pictures as as you can, because I am so tired of all of the arguments and and all of that. And send me your baby pictures. I was going to provide you with some of my own baby pictures. Uh, This is a picture of our youngest, uh, Josephine. Uh, Look how precious and cute she is. Uh, We have one for my son, too, because I don't want to leave him out, his six-year-old brother. This is uh, Amanda with Asher when he was an infant. So pure, so innocent, so precious, so susceptible to illness and disease. There are different reactions that people have with, with babies. Um, When my children were born, I wanted to do like the Lion King thing and hold the baby up for all the people to see. Uh, My wife was sort of like, you know, I'm not going to be at church for several weeks now. Um, You know, and she has her bottle of hand sanitizer and, you know, getting everybody that wants to come close to the baby. We had a, a funny thing that happened one time where we decided to take our infant Asher to a church event and there was a lot of people and sort of a festival so we were kind of going back and forth with the cart and he was sleeping preciously and people were coming up they hadn't seen him before so they're saying oh look how beautiful and everything we said thank you and all those different things and on one occasion there was um, a woman who came up and oh look how precious that baby is you know how this works right and but then she took her fingers and started to reach in to, and it created this reaction from my wife, um, and she surprised herself, I think. She said, oh, no, don't touch him. (laughs) And the woman sort of jumped back. She was kind of startled by the reaction, and my wife was kind of embarrassed that she reacted, you know, in that way, but she'd been spending so much uh, emotional power protecting this baby from all harmful germs and, and all of that, and the supportive husband that I am, simply just turned around and started chuckling because it was such an embarrassing and, and, and funny experience. Now, we all know our kids grow up, and they are looking for independence. They're looking to try new things. They're looking to, to do new things and to have new experiences. And so parenting, I've come to learn, is really living in this tension between protection and release, Am I going to let this child do this thing or try this new thing, um, which carries maybe some risk to it, or am I going to prevent them from doing that and, protect, and protecting them from anything harmful that might happen as a result? So this past week, our six-year-old says, Dad, I, I want to make some peanut butter and jelly toast. And so I went through this process with myself. Let's see, he's never done this before. I don't know if he can work the toaster or not. He's probably gonna make a mess. Sure, go ahead, try it. But I had to go through that that process of, is it worth the the risk? He actually did pretty well, I was pretty proud of him. But even daily as a parent, we're confronted with these little micro decisions. Should we allow this person to experience this new thing? And the benefit could be that they're, they're gonna learn a lesson but there's also some some risk involved as well. I want you all for a second, if you have a Bible with you, I want you to hold up your Bible. Hold up your Bible for a second. Your Bible, um, it's actually not really a book, it's more like a library, but uh, this library of books is filled with stories of people that are living within that same tension. Living in, within those, those little micro decisions of should we do this, um, which would leave ourselves at risk for certain things, or should we wall ourselves off and prevent it from happening out of a sense of protection? Everywhere you go in this in these stories, you find that same exact tension: should we release ourselves and leave ourselves open, or should we protect ourselves and wall ourselves off? Now, I want you to um, take your Bible. If you would turn to the book of Leviticus, I know, exciting. Uh, book of Leviticus. Chapter 13, I, I want to give us some background and some context for this story that, that Pastor Steve read in Mark chapter 1. This is going to be helpful to gain an understanding of what's really happening here. There's some cultural things that maybe we weren't, um, we wouldn't necessarily know if we were um, just reading it straight out of Mark chapter 1. But Leviticus chapter 13. God's people and I want us to think collectively here as a community, God's people are also in their infancy stages. And as they are developing as a people, as a nation, as a collective group of bodies, they are also understand, trying to understand and trying to discover more what their relationship with God looks like. Now, at the center of this is worship, What it meant to live in that day was to participate in worship. Now, there was all kinds of different people, individual giftings and contributions to society and different people that had different subcultures in their homes and, you know, like when you go to a different person's home and that person's home has a certain smell, like people's homes smell differently. They had all of that. There were all these hosts of differences, but worship was that collective assembly and shared experience. That the entire community of individuals would come together and they would participate in worship. God was declared, one thing that they knew about God, and they're still getting to know God, but the one thing that they knew about God is that God was holy. And what that word means in the Hebrew is is set apart. It's God is not us. God is different than us. God is set apart and, and holy. And so, in the course of worship, when you're worshiping a holy God, that the, the space, the physical space, was also considered to be holy or set apart. It's why they had specific design places for worship to say, This is different, this is set apart for, for worshiping this different and, and set apart. Um, God. And if people were going to enter into this holy space, well, they also had, um, they could not be contaminated or or defiled in any way as well. And so there became, there's developed this idea of purity or cleansing or cleanness associated with worship, entering into the presence of of the most holy God. And they treated this very seriously. And so there were instructions, even detailed instructions, about what it meant to be pure, what it meant to be clean, what you needed to do and make sure of before you were going to enter into this very holy and sacred space in worship, which again was this common thing. This was a major part of living in that particular society. And so there were rules about what you could eat or what you didn't eat. And rules of do's and don'ts that spanned all across different uh, s- s- different parts of life and, and, and um, life experience. And they had rules about childbirth and, and the role of priests and which animals were okay and which animals weren't okay. And and how to worship, and, and, and sex, and diet, and all of these different things of what it meant. And that's, I didn't even get to the PG-13 stuff. I mean, the vast detail about what it meant to be cleansed, to be clean, in order that you could enter into that holy space. And some people, when they read all of this, they say, well, what, what... Like, why do they have all of these rules? What's behind some of these things? Because some of these things are kind of weird and, and and foreign to me. And, and some of them had to do with personal um, health and, and hygiene. Sometimes there were life practices or different things that people did that... Ass- a uh, uh, mirrored too closely to some of the other uh, pagan peoples and gods that they didn 't want to associate with that, so they'd say, we 're going to remove ourselves from, from this behavior or this type of thing." And there, there, were, there were reasons um, be, behind that, And all of it, though, was meant to prevent contamination. Now I'm talking about more of a a spiritual sense here, preventing this contamination because if if you were contaminated, you couldn't enter into this this holy, sacred space. There was even specific rules and do's and don'ts around uh, skin disease and and leprosy. This was something that the people dealt with and, and struggled with. And it's very infectious and, and contagious. It could pass from one person to the next. And there was also a, a very particular um, concentration of this idea of being clean and what was on your skin. And so if there was even a hint of, of a, a skin disease or, or um, imperfection, it had to be inspected. So they would take this person who would be, uh, presumably uh, have, might have leprosy, Bring him to the priest, and the priest would kind of look at what's there, and say, "Well, you need to go, um, be removed from society, for for seven days." And so they had to sort of be quarantined for seven days, and then they would come back, and after that time, the priest would declare if this person is actually clean or if this person is, is unclean. And to give you an idea of what life was like when they were deemed unclean, I want you to follow along with me in Leviticus 13, verse, starting with verse 45. I'm just gonna read 45 and 46. Leviticus 13, 45 and 46, and this will give you an idea of what our friend in Mark 1 is going through. Verse 45, the person who has the leprous disease shall wear torn clothes, And let the hair of his head be disheveled. And he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live, listen to this, he shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. So this is the experience that this man with a leprous disease uh, has and that we read about in, in Mark chapter one. He was completely alone. He was removed from his community, his family, his friends, his place of work. Everything that he knew as far as regular life was taken away from him. And so you understand why he's so desperate When Jesus comes around. He approaches Jesus in the scripture. Mark tells us that he begs him. He falls down on his knees. And he says, if you choose. A leper came to him begging and kneeling and said to him, if you choose, you can make me clean. What a statement of faith in there. Now, notice that he doesn't say, would you heal my disease? He doesn't say, would you cure me? He says, would you make me clean. He's using that very same religious language. What this man is after is not just a healing from his ailment. What he's looking for is not just a removal of the physical things that were that were attacking him. What he's looking for is that determination by the priest to say that you once again can re-enter society that you, once again, can come back and partake in the community that God has designed you for. And God has designed us for community. In Genesis, all the way back at the beginning of the Bible, there are two creation stories. One of them where God is making all the things on, on the earth, and after each stop, God declares, makes a declaration, it is good. And God made humankind, men and woman, and looks back a step and steps and looks at the whole thing and says, it is very good. That declaration is important. In the second uh, creation story, there is a, a similar declaration, but this time God says that something is not good good God makes Adam the first man and says and declares it is not good that the man should be alone God has designed us to be together in community and connection with one another And when we look through the different stories throughout Scripture, through the entire Bible, we see God's concern not just for individuals, but for the wider community. He speaks to someone like Abraham and calls him out and gives him a dramatic and powerful calling so that, though, he can be the father of many nations. We look at Moses and how God calls this individual Moses, to go and to rescue his people from the hands of Pharaoh in Egypt, but so that the people can be reestablished and set free and liberated from from Pharaoh. Kings were often addressed, addressed in Scripture, but in the context of their leadership and their shepherding for the wider community, the people. Prophets received words from the Lord. God spoke directly to them so that they can be a mouthpiece for the people, the wider community. Jesus himself doesn't go out into ministry in isolation. He calls forth 12 disciples to journey alongside with him to be in the midst of community. Even in the New Testament when we read letters and we don't capture this. Maybe if you were from the South, you'd know this. But a lot of times when it says you, you really should translate y'all. Because it's talking to groups of people. You all should be considered. It's written to a wider community of people. God has designed us to be in community with one another. It's how he, it's how he designed it. In John chapter 13, Jesus articulates this this further. He says in John chapter uh, 13, verses 34 and 35, he says, I give you a new commandment that you love one another. Love one another. And just as I have loved you, you also should love one another see the connection there by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another this is the way that god made us to be together so much so that our very experience with god depends on our relationship to the community. And so, a hanging question for us. Why is it that so many people who come into a church and leave on any particular day still feel disconnected and alone? Have you noticed that the primary understanding or perspective of faith here in, in the Western culture and society is primarily individual before it is communal. Now, there's a lots of reasons for that. We live in a very hyper-individualized society, The focus is on the individual, what you want, what you need, what's going to make your life better, what's going to enhance the quality of of your life. And we have expectations and concerns about how the wider community is going to meet those personal needs for our own betterment. And all of this can leak into the church. More and more people will decide to stay home on a Sunday morning, turn on the mega superstar preacher on the TV and call it church. More and more people consider their faith to be a private thing that they keep to themselves and it's not shared with another person. And all of it is cloaked with, with, with religious language such as, I have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Somehow, along the way, we have come to a place where we primarily see our faith in God as an individual experience that the wider community needs to cater to. But in Scripture, it was the other way around. The primary concern was the community and an individual's role and contribution to the wider community about what God was doing in the midst of the community and how each person is called specifically for the the, the flourishing of God's community. Our worship leader, uh, Seth Wanger, and I were talking this uh, past week and for the life of us, we could not find a worship song that had used the language of "we" and "our," <laughs> and primarily it was all "me" and "and my" and "I." Somehow, we have reversed the perspective, and if we're honest, maybe we've made it kind of about us. Now, I wonder if that perspective flows more out of a sense of fear that we need to protect ourselves from others or protect ourselves from contamination. And so it's better to just keep things to ourselves. This last series, this last m- a message in our in our series Soul Shift challenges us to shift our souls, to shift our perspectives, in moving from me to we, to have a change in in focus and orientation, to fer, to move from a me-centered faith to a we. Centered faith that somehow we would move from our faith being a private and personal and individual experience into an experience that is shared, just as the Old Testament assembly would gather together to worship their one true God. Well, this leper comes to Jesus and he Mark tells us that he has compassion or pity for him, for him, and different versions of the Bible will say different things. It's a tricky word in the Greek. Some say indignant or that Jesus was angry. Most scholars believe that what was meant there is that Jesus had pity or Jesus had compassion, and this is important because it it, it signals to us what was going on in Jesus' heart. And it's important because this compassion is what's going to set the tone for what happens next. Because what happens next is that Jesus violates all kinds of different rules, do's and don'ts, and social codes. He reaches across, and he touches this leprous man. Not only was Jesus leaving himself open and susceptible to whatever disease he might have had, But Jesus, in this touch, is making his own self ritually unclean. Jesus is risking himself to be made unclean just to provide touch from a heart of compassion. Now, consider when was the last time this man might have been touched by another human being? How long had he been cast out of society? By himself, shouting to people, unclean, unclean, so as to signal that people need to stay away from him. Think about what that touch might have meant for this this man. And Jesus then answers his question. He says, I do choose. Remember, the man said, If you choose, Jesus says, I do choose and declared, be made clean. Jesus' power, healing power here, flows out of a heart of compassion. And, and Mark here is very concerned, as he's developing this story, uh, he's very concerned about Jesus' legitimacy amongst the people. Remember, this is Mark chapter 1. People are still getting to know who this Jesus fellow is. And so his miracles are providing evidence for his, his, his divinity, his messiahship. And so, this healing is really important in that, in, in that regard. But Jesus tells the man not to go and tell all the people what had just happened. Is Jesus is very concerned about being portrayed as sort of a common faith healer, which is something that would, uh, would, would exist in that society in that day. He wanted to be seen as more. He didn't want to be known as the healer of this man's disease. He wanted to be known as the, as the healer of his soul, of his spirit, of his social condition by saying and declaring that he be made clean. Not just healed of his disease, but be made Clean. He was more than that. And he ordered them, go and show yourself to the priest. Remember, the priest was the one to declare, to inspect, and to declare that he would be made clean so that he can be then reintegrated into his community, into his society. I wonder what this same heart of compassion might do for us that the same heart of compassion that Jesus had that, that violated social boundaries, what the same heart of compassion, if it was in our own hearts, if it existed amongst our own community, what other social boundaries would, would be broken down? What other lines would be crossed? What other touch and connections would be made out of the same heart of compassion? So a question for you. And this is really a question for me too. Have we built ourselves walls out of protective fear? Or are we letting compassion lead the way? Now, don't get me wrong. There are times and appropriate times to set up boundaries Boundaries can be important. Boundaries are, are healthy and, and, and vital. So I'm not going to ask you what kind of boundaries you're making or not making. What I want to ask you is what is going on in your heart is, are you leading your life and your faith out of fear that would, that would naturally build up walls, or are you leading with the heart of compassion that would break down those walls and cross all of those barriers? I came across a, uh, an online survey on, on Facebook, it was written by PBS, and the title caught my eye. It said, um, are you living in a bubble? <laughs> and so I took the quiz, and it turns out, yes, I am living in a bubble, because I didn't score very well. The questions were really interesting, actually, and, and, and targeted towards socioeconomic status, and are you associating with people that are, are different from you? And I had to ask myself, why? Why would I put up protective walls? Am I leading out of fear? Or am I leading out the heart of of compassion? Uh, Another friend on Facebook, I don't know why I'm mentioning Facebook so much today, but um, another friend on Facebook posted a picture of a castle that resonated with me because I studied for a year, my undergraduate, in Salzburg, Austria. This is what we affectionately called the Festung, the um, giant castle on a hill in Salzburg, Austria, and maybe you've been there, you've seen this, you can't miss it. <laughs> it's visible from all different uh, directions. It's very interesting when you take tours up and through, you learn the history of it and all of that. Um, this Castle is actually in pretty good shape because no one could really break it down and defeat it. And there's a story, an interesting story that they, the, the, the tour guides would tell you as you're taking a tour through this castle that um, at one point the castle was under attack and the attackers soon realized that they were not going to break down these walls. They were not gonna break through. And so they did the, na- the next natural thing. They surrounded the castle and simply prevented people from leaving. And over time, food and supplies and water ran out and the people were then forced to surrender and to leave the castle walls in order to live. Sometimes when we think that we're protecting ourselves and putting up walls out of a sense of protection, we soon come to realize that what we've built is a prison. That as much as we are protecting ourselves from contamination from those people and those influences and those things on the outside, we've created a bubble or a prison where we cannot get out. I've had many discussions about people living within this same tension. I remember one discussion and someone said to me, well, if the edge is over there, I'm just going to stay as far from the edge as possible. And I said, here's the thing, though. Jesus lived on the edge. Because that's where the people on the margins were. That's where the people that needed saving were. Those were, those were the people that needed to know about God's love. That's, that's where they are. So that's where Jesus was. Christ is in the midst of community. And when I say community, I'm not talking about necessarily people that all talk the same as you and look the same as you and have the same political views or have the same theology even. I'm, I'm talking about a community where if Christ is at the center, those other things don't really matter. In our book Soul Shift, um, David Drury and Steve Deneff share uh, about community. Here's what they say If Christ is in us and we are in Him, the community we become functions like one great big welcoming potluck, where whatever you bring to the table is received and whatever is already on the table is yours for the taking. This type of community does not come without risk, but God is there. God is there. Um, last week, many of you noticed that I messed up in my message. And I just casually mentioned that our, our friend Moses in the Bible was not permitted to enter in the promised land because he had killed the Egyptian. Uh, this led to several emails. <laughs> very, very nice and very gracious that in fact it was not because he uh, murdered the Egyptian. It was a different reason and you can read all about it in Numbers chapter 20. But I, I goofed up. I, I, I made a mistake. And I was kind of embarrassed about it. And uh, since Steve was gone... Um, Well, I had two jobs when Steve was gone. The first is make sure that the church doesn't burn down. The second was uh, to lead a staff meeting. And so I gathered the staff together, and I said, look, guys, I kind of messed up on Sunday. I don't know if anyone's talked to you. And they were like, oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I said, okay, well, um, how's this? Let's go around the table and talk about our epic fails. Um, maybe to make myself feel better, but then we can you know, have a laugh with it. And it was great. It, we just went around and shared some of the things that we, mistakes that we made, and we laughed together. And for heaven's sakes, we couldn't get Jim Davis to shut up because he just, <laughs> he had so many, so many epic fails. Um, um so, so here we are, you know, here we are sharing all of our failures and our vulnerabilities, the things that we were really embarrassed about, the things that we we're really ashamed about. And let me tell you, we had church in that staff meeting. <laughs> because we let our guard down, we let our walls down a little bit, and God was present and we we experienced the community of Jesus Christ. So I just want to offer a challenge to you. Sometimes, you know, boundaries are good, but but have we been leading out in fear and putting up those walls, but in so doing, creating a bubble or a prison where we can't connect with where God is with those people? I said this last week, and I'll keep saying it. But I hope that question bothers you a bit (laughs) and it lingers with you and you can allow yourself to be challenged, but so that we can experience the community of faith. So here's what I'd like to do: I invite you to stand with me and I'd like us to pray together. This is a prayer that we'll say out loud together and pray asking for God to make us one under his banner, one under the love in the name of Jesus Christ. May you be filled with God's blessing and filled with God's presence as we pray together, as we seek to be one. Let's, Let's pray this together. Holy God, we come to you as one, the body of Christ and the family of believers. We commit ourselves to you and to one another. Where there is division, bring unity. Where there is bitterness, bring forgiveness. Where there is rejection, bring acceptance. Above all, let us love one another as you have loved us. And the assembly came together and worshiped the Lord their God. Let's sing together before we leave.
2: Would you sing this verse? We are a sea of voices. We are an ocean of your praise. Gathered under one name. We are a tide that's rising. and we cannot be contained. Gathered under one name, oh, for a thousand tongues to sing the glories of.
1: of God and be the community. Break down walls, make a connection. Someone is waiting for you to connect with them, to bring Christ's presence into that place. And together we will experience the power of almighty God. Go in his name and in his peace. Amen.